Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey everyone, it's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. Thanks for tuning into this episode. It features Laura Gerchik. She's the general manager of Biologique Recherche. And I'm probably really mispronouncing it, so apologies to all my French-speaking friends. But if you want to hear it pronounced the right way, please tune into the episode. Laura does a much better job than I do. And if you missed last week's episode, please tune in. It's with Stacey Levine. She's the co-founder of Glow Science. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Where Brains Meet Beauty. So today we are joined by Laura Gerchik. And I'm going to butcher the name of the company you work with, so I'm going to let you say it first. Okay, it's called Biologique Recherche. Biologique Recherche. Yes, perfect. If I said that in France, people would, in a pharmacy in France, people would know what I'm talking about? Uh, if you said it in France, you would say Biologique Recherche. And give it to me, the USA version? Biologique Recherche. <laughs> Biologique Recherche. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you. Thank you, Jody. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's cool for you to be here. Yeah. Um, I just want to let everyone know how we met. Yeah. And we met through my business coach, Alan, who you met. Who he, I think he did a workshop at your office. Is that right? Yeah, we actually did a team retreat with Alan. He's fantastic. He was recommended by a friend of ours, and he's just a great coach. Yeah, I get... Um, hours and hours of amazing things out of Alan, like every time we talk. So he's a, a huge value for me. Um, and he actually was so excited after he met you the first time. He's like, Jody, I just met this wonderful woman of beauty. You need to know her. He was like, you know, a kid in a candy store, so excited to connect us together. I love that. He's just so enthusiastic. He's so amazing. Um, and I was really thrilled when he introduced us as well. When I got the call, I was like, oh, Alan is the best. Yeah. Um, this is not a paid commercial by Alan. It's just <laughs> Alan is Alan. Um, yeah. So we're sitting down together in our recording studio and Laura brings her notes in and I want to mention it because um, it's really well organized like I gave her the questions ahead of time which I do for most guests and she wrote in like her thoughts and I'm um, impressed by that skill of like preparing um, what does preparation mean to you is this something that's like kind of always part of your life uh, I think it depends. Um, you know, I think right before we just kind of got into it, I, I mentioned that I, I usually feel like I do better when I don't necessarily prepare everything. But I think it's important to just kind of think of the things that you want to get across, um, especially when you're limited in time. So I was always that like 20-something who was going on a job interview and I wasn't prepared. And it took me a really long time to realize like, duh, Jody, like you're not going to get the job if you're not doing your research and you're not walking the door with a point of view. Um, so now I prepare. But it took me a long time to get there. Yeah. And I understand. I actually really did always prepare for that. And I think now being in management, I realize how important it is because we're interviewing people and you can tell the difference between someone who is completely prepared and someone who's kind of just, you know, winging it. Yeah, I was definitely in my 20s, a winging it kind of gal. <laughs> um, and then something started to shift. I think when I, um, after I had kids, I just wanted um, to be uh, less chaotic. Mm -hmm. So I would like take the train into the city as like the train before the train I needed to take to get somewhere on time because I like sent all my 20s rushing around mm -hmm. and being late and I just didn't like that anymore. It didn't feel good. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I think even me, you know, I just wanted to make sure to be here on time. And I think you actually get a lot out of it, right? Like when you're, you know, you're on time, you can free your mind, think about something else, and you're not just rushing into things. So you really take a beat to kind of mentally prepare in a certain way before getting anywhere. Yes. I, yeah, the whole mindset shift that happens when you're not like frantic running late. And I actually was um, not late for something this weekend, but like I didn't have as much time to chill before an event that I wanted to, that I wanted to. And I hated that feeling of driving me like, oh, I'm only going to have 20 minutes and I really need 30 or 40 or whatever. Um, so it reminds me that I need to just set the alarm a little earlier, right? Oh, yeah. Get my butt out of bed a little <laughs> earlier. Um, okay, so let's talk about something really simple first. How will you be spending your day today? So my office is just a couple blocks away, and when I get there, I will be checking in on a training that we have going on. We're really big on education, so we utilize our space to do trainings. And probably like everyone else who sits in this, you know, where Brains Meets Beauty chair, um, our days are just chaotic right now. It's very hectic. So I just signed the lease uh, for a new office space. Oh, mazel. That's so cool. Thank you. In our building. Um, that means a lot of back and forth with the building architects and our architects. Um, it takes a village. And we have an upcoming um do you call it training for our U.S. clients? So that's coming up. So that's like you know planning for a 170-person mm -hmm. uh, event, um, and also we're doing a lot of digitalization right now. So uh, I'm bringing in QuickBooks, and that takes the whole teamwork to make sure that we're kind of rolling it out well. And Salesforce as a CRM tool. So that's probably a peek into at least a little part of my day. So as general manager, you're basically like president of the office in the U.S. Is that sort of the equivalent? Yeah, so I run all the U.S. operations. Um, so we have some marketing functions here to support the distribution activity. Uh, you know, we have a PR firm, so it's a lot of coordinating. It's a lot of helping other people to do their jobs as well, our account executives, things like that. Mm -hmm. So I um, didn't know your brand until I met you. Um, and now that I know of it, now I've seen it everywhere, right? Um, why is that? Is, is it like a secret in the industry, why, why haven't I heard of it before? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I get that all the time. I get that, you know, we never heard of you, and then as soon as we found out about you, we see you all over. Um, it was a very kind of niche brand uh, and a very word of mouth. Um, so everyone just, there was such a huge loyal following for Biologique Recherche. And I think that in recent years, we've, we've developed and we've grown the company and the business so beautifully in the U.S. and, of course, internationally, because the brand is now in 77 different countries. And I feel that people are really kind of realizing that the cat's out of the bag and that this, like, well-kept kind of beauty secret is, you know, it's kind of everywhere and, and, and it's huge. And I think the other wonderful thing about that is realizing that we're a 40-year-old company that is almost in this startup mode um, and that we, you know, we've been around for a very long time, but we're kind of, you know, just beginning to be discovered. Is there a founder? Yes. Yeah, there were two founders, actually. So the brand was founded uh, by Dr. Yvan Alouche, and he was a medical doctor and biochemist, and by his wife, mm -hmm. Josette Alouche, and she was a physiotherapist. Um, so the brand has a very high-tech and high-touch approach to skincare. A very hyper personalized approach, and of course, a very results driven. We're really obsessed with results. And what's interesting is when you think about it, 40 years ago, the landscape of beauty was just so different in skincare. And they developed a brand that had no artificial fragrances 
which was crazy mm -hmm. at the time, that was incredibly concentrated in active ingredients. So we start at 20% concentrations and we go up to over 80% in so, some of our professional um, care lines. And uh, that had, um, you know, biological, marine, botanical, and also that's a professional skincare line. So this is a line that's, it's like an aesthetic brand. So it's really like prescription only by the estheticians that work with the line. So there's a whole, you know, knowledge base and educational portion that comes in. Um, they also had something that was, I think, very unique, which was not to categorize skin. Mm -hmm. So we don't conceive skin in, you know, the sense of oily or, you know, uh, dry. What we believe is that the skin is ever evolving. It, it's, you know, the, the epidermal cycle is 24 days. It's going to regenerate itself a thousand times in its lifetime. And in that evolution, you have to really kind of take a snapshot of skin. And so we refer to that as the skin instant. So when you're the having- The skin what? The skin instant. Instant. Yeah, okay. the instant's like a snapshot or a photography of your skin um, in that moment. So when you're looking at the skin, you're really recommending something uh, that's going to evolve and we're gonna accompany someone in a very dynamic way over their lifetime and tweak and adjust their regimen. So I heard you on the phone before and you were speaking French like a French person. So are you French? I am very bicultural, <laughs> entirely bicultural. I was born and raised in New York. Uh, I went to school at the Lycée Francais. I, went, I was raised in a French household. Mm -hmm. uh, so I went to French school. I lived in France afterwards, both uh, as a student when I was studying abroad in Paris and later in my adult life when I was working there right before moving back to New York. So you're right now, I'm watching you talk and listening to you talk, and you're like an actor. You're like super American New Yorker right now, but then you can like just turn on the, the super French. French. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I get, I really think it's the best of both worlds. So in, the, in your household growing up, would you be speaking French at home? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. My mom was raised in France, and so she spoke to me in French. And it was important that I be able to correspond with my family, my grandparents and cousins right. and so forth. Um, so I think it really gave me a leg up in life. I think uh, it was a great skill to have. Yeah, um, the school you went to, I lived on the Upper East Side um, a few years ago, mm -hmm. and so we were right near that school. But I think it looks different now than it used to, right? It had a whole makeover. Yeah, so when I was growing up, um, I mean, it's an amazing school, and, and it was a beautiful school, literally, in terms of New York real estate, because we had these gorgeous townhouses, um, and so these kind of grand, you know, halls that were our school. Um, and there were four buildings in Manhattan on 72nd, 73rd, 95th, and 93rd, so all throughout the Upper East Side. And then they opted to uh, move to a building on York and 75th that they built that I'm assuming was, you know, probably more adapted to their needs and more suited to their needs. Right, yeah. right. So you had sort of like the storybook version of that school. Yes, I did. I had the old school, you know, diehard storybook version of that school. And would you guys go from the 70s to the 90s for different classes? Uh, no, you would actually, it was depending on what grade you were in. So 72nd was, you know, kindergarten through, I think, uh, sixth grade. And then you had a couple of years um, at 73rd, which I never went to because they bought that school actually after. So I only had 72nd, 95th, 93rd. Mm, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. So New York. Yeah, very, quintessentially. You know, I just had a bus would take me to high school, you know. I was, oh, no, we didn't have that. <laughs> it was public transportation. <laughs> right, right, or your feet. Um, okay, so um, what does biologique recherche, what does that mean? Um, so the, the literal version of biologique recherche is biological 
research. Oh, okay. um, and it, it came from Josette, I believe, who named it. And she was inspired by the fact that Yvonne always, you know, tried to relate um, the different elements of nature to the different functioning of the skin. So it was very inspired by that. And I also think the second thing that that is important to note is the word research and biological research, because we are a tremendously R&D-driven company. Um, we believe that we actually pour most, invest most of our funds into research and development way more than marketing, um, and think that it's really part of ensuring the longevity of the brand and really anchoring the brand in the long term. So we work with doctors and pharmacists and PhDs and, um, and engineers and all of those types of uh, profiles in France to formulate the products. And we formulate them in our own laboratory, which I think is, is important to note, yeah. um, many brands don't. And we're the last research lab laboratory in, in Suresnes, which is where our lab is. It's right outside of Paris um, and the last industrial site. Wow. Yeah. So um, let's talk about you now that I'm um, updated about the brand. How did you get started in beauty? So I got started in beauty fortuitously. Um, I, before this, had two different careers. Um, my first in New York was to work for the French government in economic develop development work, foreign direct investments. And then I moved to Paris to pursue a career in commercial real estate. So I was working for Cushman and Wakefield for several years before. Um, and I was living in France. I traveled to New York to visit my mom. And at the time, my mom had a project to potentially open a spa a biologique recherche called Embassy of Beauty, Ambassade de la Beauté, which is our flagship. And it was on 57th Street, across the street from where I grew up. And the partners were here. Dr. Alouche was here. Um, and we visited the space. And I'm in real estate, so here I am asking a ton of questions. And when we got out of there, Dr. Alouche, maybe a little jokingly, but I'm not sure how much, um, said, you know, uh, you should come work for us. And I was so happy in France, so I wasn't ready. I was like, no, no, you know, thank you, no thank you. And then fast forward, I mean, many, many years later, and I'm living in Paris, and I'm very close to the founders of the company, at least Josette, because unfortunately, Yvonne Alouche died, you know, over a decade ago. And she came to me and said that they were looking for someone to run the U.S., a U.S. general manager, and wanted me to interview for the position. So, you know, I thought about it, and... I was at the height of my real estate career. I mean, quite frankly, you know, I was, I think, almost seven years, six, six years, seven years into my real estate career in France. It was a very male-dominated industry, so it was, you know, needless to say, hard to pierce through. And it gave me food for thought. So I, I thought about it, and I had the interviews uh, with um, the owners of the company today. So it was Dr. Luge, and it was Rupert Schmidt, and Pierre-Louis de la Palme. Uh, we very much consider it's a second-generation family business. And they offered me the position, and I thought it would be a great challenge. Um, so I, you know, I thought to myself, this is an opportunity to to run a team, to acquire different skills than the one I had, and also to contribute whatever I had already acquired in my career to the position. I come from an entrepreneurial background because my mother always had her own successful businesses in fashion in New York. So. I was ready for the challenge. So your your mom was having a meeting. This is years ago. You just happened to be in town. Is she in the beauty business at this point? Why, why was she having this meeting? She was in the fashion industry, mm -hmm. um, which is a tangent, yeah. you know, of beauty. And uh, and she was very close with the Alouche family. That's how I initially knew them. Um, 
I think that they were just discussing this as a potential project. There was a lot of possibility, mm -hmm. and that's where I happened to come in. Right. So she's a visionary friend of theirs going for a meeting, and you just happen to be there. Exactly. That's really cool. I mean, talk about right place, right time. Right? Exactly. Even though you weren't ready. I wasn't. <laughs> no. I, you know, the, the time came way later. I'm talking years later. And why didn't you think to enter the fashion business, considering you saw it through the eyes of your mother? My mother exited fashion. She sold her business a couple years ago, uh, about the time where I was moving to France. Um, I think it was also basically a little bit of a shocking time when you think back. It was right before Lehman Brothers. I had just started working in real estate. Fashion was not doing uh, very well. Brick and mortar still, unfortunately, today is kind of having another mm -hmm. um, dip. And there were just so many brands that were out at the time, I mean, the Zara's and the, you know, the mass market fashion brands that were just kind of eating away at luxury. My mother was in luxury fashion. She had worked with, you know, Armani's, Versace, so really visionary people at their time. I think maybe that also had something to do with it was the designers were just so unique back mm -hmm. in the day. And yeah. I grew up in that generation. And I think that maybe at least for the last couple of years, you know, there haven't been as many like wow factors, especially as like a Jenny Versace. Right. Um, and I kind of wanted to do my own thing, you know, walk, you know, walk on my own two feet. And I never excluded fashion, but I definitely feel now that beauty is, is just kind of so tangent to fashion and it really feels like home to me. Right, so what was the name of her store? So she had multiple uh, stores throughout her career. She had this huge, stunning showroom, very industrial showroom in the Garment District um, on 37th Street. It was called AGEM. And she had all of New York's big celebrities that would come in. You know, it was a really cool time. I remember mm -hmm. I remember Rachel Hunter and Rod, Rod Stewart came in when they were married. Oh, and I remember so awesome. trying to find Rachel Hunter some shoes, you know. Um, but it was it was really cool times. And then she had a store on the Upper East Side on 72nd between Lex and uh, 72nd, sorry, between Lexington, Lexington and 72nd, basically. Uh -huh. And uh, and uh, and yeah, those are two stores. That's cool. Yeah. Well, um, okay. So you find this opportunity, you think, okay, I'll I'll run this business, but you've never run. I mean, I guess being a commercial real estate person, you're sort of your own business person, right? I mean, real estate's pretty entrepreneurial. Well, I think I had grown up already, you know, basically helping my mom, working with my mom from a very, very young age. Um, I graduated college early, and when I did, my mother had asked me to run her business for a while, so I had experience with that. Mm -hmm. And also when she sold her store right before I moved to France, um, it was a difficult time. My grandmother had just passed away, and, and we had a deadline to, you know, give the keys back. So I had to run her business while also working in my old company. Um, for a little while. So I think it was always kind of inherent to me. And I'm, I'm a people person, uh, business development, sales, you know, all of those related industries and fields had always just kind of come naturally to me. It's so interesting to me because you like willfully took this role on where there's like so many hats to wear. And I'm thinking about like, I'm an entrepreneur. I started my own business to like not do all the things you just listed. I was so like, had blinders on, like, I'm just going to make great creative for brands, right? I'm just going to do cool things. And like all these other things that you mentioned, I had really um, not even considered. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So you did this, you know, willingly, which I yeah, willingly. I mean, maybe age has something to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you never know. I was um, 30 
I think when I came back to New York, you know, it was about five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think maybe that has something to do with it, right? You know, the the desire to to do great things and, and make an impact and, and contribute. That's so cool. Okay, yeah. so you um, are walking into a realm where you know how to do some things, but you definitely don't know how to do others, right? Um, what do you think has been, like, the biggest lesson in the past few years of running this business? Can I only pick one? No, you can pick okay. as many as you want. Um, we, have, you know, we have all the time in the world. <laughs> I think that there's, there's, I mean, the experience in and of itself has been a lesson. Um, you know, recruiting, meeting people, building a team that has coherence, um, and that get things done, you know, that, that being also choosing what kind of style manager you want to be. I think I shared this when we were having our call before um, our podcast, but I unfortunately did not have good managers. You know, there's a lot of people who find inspiration from mentors, and that was not the case. So for me, my management style was most certainly to just take what I had had and do something completely different, you know, to do something that also was representative of what I wanted to leave behind. Um, I think that those are all some of the takeaways, you know. And then you also learn uh, that you're a facilitator to other people. Uh, You learn that you have to be, you can't just sit in a corner and decide, okay, I'm going to do this today because someone else is going to come knocking on my, I actually have no door because we're in open space, but someone's (laughs) going to come standing at my desk and they need me to be able to do their job. So if I want things to go well, I also need to share my time that way. Um, So those are just some, but I probably could keep going and going. Right, right. So, um... This skincare market now, I feel like, is so cluttered. Um, sometimes I say, and I, I mean it, like I half mean it and I half joke, that like I want to vomit because there's just so much like new, 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 right? Mm-hmm. And like, why can't I just love what I have? Like, is is this new thing really that different? Um, yeah. And I, I feel it more in skincare with color. Like, yes, there's tons of new, but like, you know, color trends change, textures change, right? So I, I. You know, that's, I mean, the idea of artistry just feels different. Like, of course, you want, like, another paintbrush and you want another tube of paint, right? That's just sort of the way it is for color. But with skincare, it's like, wow, am I evolving so much that I have to try something new every for three months or six months? Um, how do you approach this kind of chaotic, frenetic, new, new, new um, part of the industry? You're kind of obliged to in some way, but I also try to put blinders on and not pay attention to what anyone else is doing in the industry. Because if you do, I feel that you're wasting your time trying to emulate someone else's model, um, which we never do. I mean, frankly, it's not just me. As a company, we have a vision, and I think that that's the important thing, is there's vision, there's strategy. Um, you have to set a strategy, you have to stick to it. And, and as an example, we're a 40-year-old company, even our second generation partners, owners, um, what they've done is to maintain the idea and the ethic of the founders. And we've just continued that vision, basically. So it's really just an extension of the origin of the brand. And that's what makes us strong. I think that that is our strength, is to you know, say we're a professional line. It may be tempting to go into e-commerce and mass market you know, and retail sales because they're you know, astronomical compared to a professional line, but that's not what we're doing. We're offering tools to professionals um, to be able to really, 
give the best quality of advice and the best quality of accompaniment to the clients that we see every day. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do, and that's what we're good at, and there's no reason to try to do anything else. So there are, there's a lot of clutter, you're right, um, but I think that what we need to think about is that consumers are just so much more educated nowadays, and I'm, I'm recent to Instagram. I was not on Instagram for a long time. And I'm realizing that there's just such a strong community out there of people who are hungry and thirsty for knowledge yep. and just more you know, refined into the understanding. So when I explain something to them, for example, you know, try to use an all biologique recherche regimen, give it a shot for a couple months. It's so hard talking about, you know, how people have all these products, but they'll understand that we're designing an ecosystem for mm -hmm. skincare and that we know how everything is going to interact with each other. And so we can control that environment and make the necessary changes. That's cool. Okay. So, um, what would, what advice would you give someone who um, said, I'm going to develop a skincare brand? I'm going to just launch something new. For sure, to have a true vision, um, to have a strategy, and to just not you know, not digress off of the path that you've, you've focused on and, uh, and to be sure of yourself. I mean, you know, you, you got into the business um, or you're thinking of getting into the business because you have a vision. And people have, I always joke that you have as many opinions as people you ask. So just, <laughs> just don't ask That's and a good one. do your own thing. Right. So um, I, a lot of entrepreneurs early in their um, cycle of developing the brand reach out to us um, usually just a chit chat. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, I, I really do sort of poo poo the process of starting a skincare brand these days. I'm like, if you don't have like access to resources, when I say resources, I mean money. Mm -hmm. Um, if, if you're not really developing something we've never seen before, um, I don't recommend taking, you know, this bucket of money that you've saved up or a family member gave you or whatever and investing in this. Like I actually, which is, I think, a weird thing for an entrepreneur to say to another entrepreneur, like, don't do it. But, like, how can you possibly win if you don't have something that's not really differentiating? I couldn't agree more, honestly. I think, I think you said it right. I think you have to have something that's very unique, a unique concept. And I don't think that there's no room for it. I mean, I, I think what's interesting is, you know, technology is changing. And, mm -hmm. you know, I see it even for us when we're formulating, you know, there are different ingredients that allow us to do things today that we weren't able to do before, formulations that we weren't able to do. So everything as an industry, we're getting more refined, which means that there's a lot, but also there are doors and options that open. Um, that being said, I think people kind of always look at the cash out, all these companies being bought mm -hmm. out, right? And, and that's just kind of what is happening in the industry. We're, we're one of the few privately owned companies. You know, we don't report to shareholders. So I think that gives us such a level of flexibility and allows us to do things the way we want to um, and the right way. Um, but I think that you have to look past that cash out and realize that there's a lot of sweat equity that goes into starting any kind of company, but definitely a skincare company. Yeah, I, um, I do think that people new to the industry who are looking to start a business, they're in it just because they think it's like a quick cash. And yeah. it's so far from it. I mean, so far. Absolutely, so far. Um, so let me just ask a question um, about the customer who's going into a spa that she trusts. Is she asking for your brand of the esthetician or is it just something that they're using and then are they 
Sally and her the product to take home? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a bit of both. I think obviously, um, like I said, the cat's out of the bag and the brand has a lot more visibility than it did you know, a few years ago, uh, at least definitely so since I've come on board. And so people are definitely asking for it. And, I, and that's one of the reasons that we're growing as well is that people are going back to wherever they live in the US and going to their local spa and saying, I had this amazing facial in New York mm -hmm. or in Paris or wherever they had it and asking for the brand. Um, so that's wonderful. But I also think that part of it is the educational role of not just the esthetician, definitely the esthetician, but also about all of the people who support. So all of the front desk staff mm -hmm. who we educate about product knowledge, you know, anybody who's on the sales floor, quote unquote, mm -hmm. um, we really go to great lengths to ensure that the methodology is well represented. And I think at the end of the day, we're a craft brand and you can have the most wonderful product, and, and we do, of course, but um, at the end of the day, if your estheticians aren't well-trained and the quality of the regimen that they recommend to you isn't spot on, the quality of the treatment isn't spot on, then you're going to have a bad service. And so, you know, we, we take great pride um, and we go through great extents and great lengths to be able to ensure the quality throughout the world. Uh, my job is only throughout the U.S., so I hope that, you know, that's already a part of it, but definitely throughout the U.S. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's switch gears um, before we close. And let's talk about what do you do when you're not working? Because I can imagine running the business is sort of your brain is always on. Um, how do you spend your time outside of the office? Big blank. So, um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, so the last, I've been here for five years, about five years, uh, it's really been a lot about work. Mm -hmm. um, I, I kind of took this on as a little bit of my baby and, uh, and you know, it makes me proud every day to know how much it's grown. So I think now it's really about finding the work-life balance mm -hmm. um, and taking care a little bit also of myself, you know, I'm not the same age either I was when I started working. So uh, I started to go to the gym. I got a trainer. I definitely am trying to enjoy more of what New York has to offer because I travel a little bit less as well. Um, mm -hmm. There's always kind of a trade-off. So, um, you know, trying to go to, to museums and opera and all those things that I love. I've also tried to start reading a little bit more, which is something I definitely didn't have time for before. Mm -hmm. um, can I tell you my approach to life-work balance? Please do. And I put the word life before the word work. I don't Please know if you noticed do. that. I did. Um, so I have this system of what I call buckets, and I visualize them. So mm -hmm. I have like a um, a work bucket, a kid's bucket, a husband bucket, a um, Trader Joe's bucket, because like, I'll tell you why. Um, a sleep bucket, sleep is super important to me. A friend's bucket, um, and a Bravo Real Housewives bucket. And <laughs> a lot of buckets. What it, what it does for me is it helps me visualize um, where I want to bring my attention to. So if I like have a day where I'm like, mad kind of day or a really hard sort of week, and I, I'm, I'm experiencing a feeling, but I just can't like really figure out what that feeling is, I can think about like what bucket needs to be filled up, which which tank is low. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes it might be like just the the joy I get out of doing the mundane, like going to Trader Joe's, like mm -hmm. just making sure that I have a Thursday afternoon where I'm not in the city and I'm working from home where like I go and I do an errand. Like the mundane is so joyful for me now that I've realized that I need it. Like I really enjoy it. Um, or with the kids, the kids bucket is not like me feeding them or making sure they brush their teeth sure. or any of that. I do that, of course. It's really about like spontaneous fun. Like if I'm feeling kind of, eh, well, maybe I need to do something fun and weird with them. Mm -hmm. um, so 
I encourage uh, my team to think about their buckets, what's important to them. Um, and when I need to be alone and I need quiet time, like that's my real housewives time. Like this is sacred, you know, this is my, my moment to like escape. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I, you know, I would encourage you to figure out my buckets. Yeah. And they change and that's okay too. Right now, like Bravo Real Housewives is really important to me. Maybe in a year, God forbid, maybe in a year they won't be important to me anymore. Um, but right now that's what I need. And I'm not doing all, I'm not filling all these buckets every day. You right. know, it's not like I'm crazy. No, it's when it comes up. Yeah, when I have this feeling mm-hmm. something's missing or something's lacking. Yeah. I think I'll give it a shot. I think for me, um, you know, I traveled tremendously, like almost a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to have any kind of routine when yeah. that's the case. Um, but it's what needed to be done. I definitely don't have any regrets. And I'm continuing to travel. I have a business trip this weekend um, to go see the Four Seasons uh, spa directors. Uh, and I look forward to them because, you know, I think as, as you continue in the industry, also the people that you meet become friends. And yeah. so there's a part of fun in it as well. Yeah. Do you, when you go visit these spas, are you ever getting treatments? No, that is um, that is the funniest thing is when I tell people what I do, they just kind of have a vision of me like on a treatment table at a spa every week and, you know, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> um, and could you? I don't think I'd have the time for it. Um, I mean, if I wanted to get treatments, I, I have this amazing network of partners who are all so generous, who all honestly beg me to come in and have treatments. Um, and they do. They give me treatments occasionally. And so I'm really blessed. Um, I just don't have that much time. Right, yeah. right. Okay, so if I had your job, that would be one of my buckets. I'd yes. be like, I need... Spa bucket. Yeah, even if it's, um, I don't know, a 15-minute hand massage, whatever, mm-hmm. anything. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This is so interesting to get to know you and learn more about your brand and um, your wisdom, most especially. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for calling it wisdom. Thank you for having <laughs> me, Jody. I really appreciate being here. Yeah, and um, for our listeners, please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, please follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.